This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for people who love photography. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collection. Join the club by visiting the Charcoal Book Club and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. Several of my recent personal projects have involved families, both my own and others. It's an opportunity that is both inspiring and challenging because you're photographing people during some of their most intimate and vulnerable moments. There's no hiding the presence of the camera, but it becomes an almost natural part of the moment, largely due to the trust developed between the subjects and the photographer. Bill Hansagi's new book, Nowhere to Go But Everywhere, really demonstrates what's possible in this genre, as he spent 10 months with the Reese family. Immigrants from Brazil, the family, which is made up of two parents and three kids, traveled around the country in a converted school bus. The book and its images challenges your idea of family, lifestyle, and what makes life really matter. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, welcome back to the show. It's so good to, to, to see you and talk with you again. Same here. Always a pleasure. I've been a fan of your work ever since I first had a chance to, uh, to discover it, and I uh, was really excited when I found out about this new this new book that you were doing on this on this family. Thank you. There's so many uh, so many things I could talk to you about it, but just to give people a sense of what this project was about, tell us who this family is and why you chose to spend ten months with them making photographs. Yeah, so this actually didn't start as a project about this family specifically. Uh, my original idea, uh, and you know, as you know, project ideas change, evolve, and sometimes get completely transformed by the time you're at the end of the project. So in this case, my idea was to do a project about people who live in vehicles. I had, uh, I don't know if you remember in my Venice book that was published about three years ago now, I had one of my favorite photos in the book was shot inside this van. I called it a hippie van. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so there was such a cool atmosphere in that van. And just seeing how these people lived and everything, I was kind of really intrigued. And then right around that same time, this was like three years ago, I started seeing more and more and more of those vans and buses and you know, people living in cars um, all around kind of the Venice, you know, West Side area. But there's also, you know, they're all over L.A. And you see them parked along the PCH, also like near, you know, Palisades and everything. So I got a little intrigued about who are these people? You know, what kind of stigma? There seems to be a lot of stigma with, you know, about them uh, that they suffer. And um, they seemed like a very interesting bunch because they seemed like a very diverse crowd. Like it wasn't just one type of person who did this Mm -hmm. and all the vans and buses looked very different and some were painted, uh, you know, in very cool ways. Others were, you know, not, not very well kept and, you know, looked, you know, very down and out. So um, anyway, I decided to do a project doc to document some people who lived in vehicles and I started meeting lots of those people. So I, you know, I, I would go to Venice and instead of going to the boardwalk like I did for the Venice book, I would stay more like around Maine and Rose and like all those kind of back streets that, that are not quite at the, you know, at the ocean where all those vans are parked and I would hang out with people. And I started making a few friends and, and taking a few photographs here and there. And I wasn't totally pleased with, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't found my groove yet. And one day, one of the people I was talking to and I was photographing introduced me to this new family who had just gotten into town and were parked two cars behind him. And uh, he said, you know, I don't know them. They just arrived today, but I'll come and introduce you. I just, you know, exchange a few words with them um, if you want. 
Okay, you know, I can uh, just introduce you and you'll take it from there. So we went over to the bus and very quickly we hit it off. And they, I mean, they, first of all, they, those people were just appeared to me so, um, I don't know, they, they're so photogenic and the kids were bouncing around the bus, you know, all over the place. They, so they have, uh, I should tell t- tell the listeners a little bit about them. There's uh, the husband and wife are in their thir- early 30s and they have three kids which at the time were two, five, and 10. So two girls that were two and five, and then the boy uh, was 10 at the time. And they were very energetic kids. And this was a very tight space, obviously. You know, we're talking about like a half school bus, basically, that they, they were living in. And it was also decorated in this very kind of raw, you know, rustic way uh, with lots of fabric thrown around and, and wood and recycled everything. And so I thought it was really interesting. And I just, you know, connected well with them and started visiting them more often. You know, I took a few photos from the start. They were very open to me taking photos and they were very kind of connected uh, family in terms of social media and so on. They were posting a bunch of their own stuff. And so they were just, you know, open to me photographing and had no problem with that. And I told them about the project and they accepted to be, you know, one of the subjects that I would document as part of this project. And to me, they were going to be one of the families I would document. That was my original thing. I wanted to do sort of vignettes of, okay, this is a family who lives in a bus. Then I'd have, you know, Joe over there who lives by himself in his van. And then I'll have, you know, and, and I'll have sort of a diversity and show the diversity of the people who live that way. That, that, the, this original idea was there for a while. And then at some point when I looked at my work, maybe about five, six months into the project, I realized that the photos I liked the best were with them, first of all, and they weren't going to be there forever. So I started consulting with a few friends and, you know, mentors and so on. And one of them had very wise words about this and said, look, your work is definitely better with them than with the other people. Why don't you try to just shoot with them while they're in town and, and just stick to that story? And then you'll, when they leave, you'll see what you have and whether you want to you know, add more people to this. So that's what I did. I, I essentially just stuck with, with them for 10 months uh, in total. And, and when they left town, I looked at what I had and I showed it to my publisher and they said, I think we should do a book about them. And, and there's also so much depth to their story other than just the visual stuff. They're, right. they're uh, Mormons uh, originally from Brazil. Uh, they had this very interesting upbringing as Mormons and they were doubting their Mormon faith as I was photographing this and as they were kind of living in, on the streets of LA, um, you know, obviously with the three kids and stuff, it, you know, made for a lot of drama and different things happening. Um, they went through, you know, a lot of hardships at some point, um, but there was also a lot of joy. I mean, there, it was kind of a multi-layered thing where I felt like if I put them side by side with other stories, you're not going to get all that detail and all that texture to, to the, their yeah. story. That So that that's when I decided I was just going to do a book about them. And an interesting part of their their, uh, their narrative is the fact that, you know, they were living this way by choice. And as you mentioned before, there's a lot of stigma in Los Angeles, largely because of the large homeless population or, or people who are living out, out of their vehicles. Right. Uh, but but they decided that they purposely wanted to to live this way at least for the time being, why did they decide to do that? Why did, and what did they tell you about, you know, about that choice? Yeah. So it's really interesting in a way it's by choice, but in another way you could say that based on their values and what they wanted to accomplish in life, there was really no choice. When they first came to the U S the husband was working basically 24 seven odd jobs and so on to, you know, try to make ends meet and and provide for his family. But they very quickly realized that although they could get what they wanted materially, like they could buy a TV and an air conditioner and things that they couldn't get in Brazil, they weren't happy. They, they, they really very quickly decided the American dream was not uh, panning out for them in terms of uh, it, it provided them with material things, but they felt like their family was falling apart because the husband was never there, was always working, and they wanted to spend time together. That's really what they thought 
you know, what they wanted out of life was to spend time as a family and, and, and have more time to travel and experience life together. So they decided the only way to achieve that was to get a, a bus, convert it and, and go on the road and not need as much money. I think they, the calculation was that they needed like 10 times less income if they were on the bus versus if they were going to you know, rent an apartment and have to have a car and this and that. So they ended up buying a bus, converting it and uh, going on the road and not really knowing. I mean, they had initially like just a supply of food for like a month or something like that of dry food. And then they didn't really have much money and they were just going to figure out how to how to provide for themselves. And they had sort of this simplistic idea of how they were going to make a living. He was um, doing he's very technology savvy. So he had. A couple of things like I think um, you had like a, a 360 VR camera and mm -hmm. in uh, back on the East Coast where they lived, they, they he would he would do shoots for like local restaurants and gyms and things like that to put them on on Google with a VR, you know, in, in, in turn, you know, an inside uh, internal VR photo of their location and that sort of thing, you know, to to uh, promote their business. So he would provide that as a service. He would show up with his VR cameras, do a few VR photos and, and upload them for them on Google and charge for the service. So his idea was, I can just do that on the road. So we'll just go and travel and I'll offer that as a service to businesses and they'll pay me and that'll be enough to pay for gas and food. That was his plan, but it, it, it turned out to be qu quite a bit more difficult than that to make money on the road, especially when you're like in a small town in the Midwest and they don't really want a VR you know, version of their business on Google or they don't see a need for it. So they, they went through really hard times uh, trying to get across the country. And at some point, I mean, I, I talk about that in, in the book because I have interviews um, of, of them uh, in the book where they ran out of gas and money and and they had to panhandle and i mean it, they they got into really difficult situations along the way so although it was by choice in order to live a family you know as a family unit together and and have this adventure together it, it was still a life that um you know they, they had some doubts along the way as to whether they had done the, the right thing or or not what's really interesting about the work is that it touches on a lot of on a lot of topics that I think are very sort of current, especially with, with respect to alternative lifestyles. You know, the, right now we're, we're in the midst of this like tiny house trend or people living out of, you know, their vehicles rather than being tethered to an apartment or to a house. But then you throw in, you know, the, the nature of the family, you know, with the three kids. Right. And then that's all that all of a sudden that's a whole different issue in terms of, what makes for a quote unquote good family in what it's like for a family to live together in such close quarters, uh, which when I shot this, obviously this was pre COVID and nobody, you know, I was like, wow, this is so exotic that they could live in such close quarters with their kids. You know, little did I know, you know, a year later, everybody was living like this, you know, in New York city <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't so exotic anymore. And, so um, it, it was kind of a, yeah, it, it was kind of a preview of what was to come, uh, but they, they were doing it by choice at the time. It, because it's so, it can touch on a whole lot of different issues. As you said, when you start on, on the project, it changes over, over time, you know, and in terms of themes and ideas that these images could represent, it's, 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 it's not just, oh, this is just a family living in a house. Uh, as you mentioned, they were going through a, 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 a crisis of faith in the midst of all this. So right. there's so many different facets to what was happening during that during that year. How was your observation of all these all these facets of of their life shaping the way that you were seeing the family, understanding the family, and making the photographs? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was interesting because from a photographing standpoint, you know, this as a photographer, you can photograph what's there, but you can't photograph the past. And a lot of the story um, in terms of how this came about and why they decided to travel and all the hardships that they had encountered getting across the country and all that stuff was in the past. And I really felt like it was part of the story and part of the struggle I had um, as I was photographing them and and figuring out how this would come together as a project as a book um, was how I was going to include all this 
uh, information of, of how this had come about and, and how they had come to this point. So um, I decided, you know, there, there was kind of a creative um, judgment here of um, I can't photograph the past. So uh, I'm, I'm going to interview them and add it as as part of the book to prove to provide context. Uh, but we did it. I mean, for people who get the book, they'll see that it's done in a very interesting, creative, beautiful way that the book designer uh, that I worked with had the idea to do with the very kind of colorful pages that are interspersed throughout the book and that tell the story of, of, of the family. There were also moments that I wasn't kind of allowed to witness um, early on because I just hadn't, you know, I didn't have the connection with them, uh, the sufficient, uh, I guess, trust with them. Uh, to to be there for some of those harsh moments uh, early on in the project. So, you know, I would check in with them. It's not like I was living with them. So I would check in with them by text and say, you know, is it okay for me to drop by? Or I would come and knock. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, like th there was one time in particular that I remember that was like maybe a, a, about a month long in the winter where they went through just horrible, horrible time. They They had you know, several hardships that just came one after another after another, and they were really depressed. Uh, I mean, they, they went through an abortion, which was really hard for uh, for them because of their, you know, it, it would be hard for anybody, but with their cultural, you know, uh, context of, of, you know, being, being brought up as Mormons and, and all of that, even though they were doubting that faith, it was a very hard thing to go through. And... Um, on top of that, the two-year-old um, got hurt, got injured, and was bleeding a lot and everything. It had to be um, brought to the emergency room and actually helped with that. Um, <laughs> they didn't have anybody to call, so I actually went and, and uh, helped them with that at the time. And um, several things happened. They, 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 were, they got the bus broke down and they were getting kicked out of the parking lot. Uh, they were parked at a church. Uh, the Mormon church that was helping them out, but the Mormon church kind of had enough with them and uh, asked them to to leave, and but they couldn't leave because the bus couldn't wouldn't start. I mean, they were just one thing after another after another, and in that period, unfortunately, I I just wasn't close enough to them to 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 you know to go into some of those hardships. So I ended up after the fact interviewing them about that period, and that's in the book as as a narrative. But some other and some other times I decided, you know, from a creative standpoint, I really want to show what it's like for him to panhandle. So that's one photo that I had him that I posed him for. And I actually say that in the book, this is a, a post portrait that's just uh, recreating, uh, you know, this this um, time when he, he had to panhandle for for to get out of a town because they ran out of food and, and gas. So th there were a few things basically I had to do creatively to kind of put the story back together. But overall, I, I managed to spend a lot of time with them. And, and I, I had much better of a trust connection, you know, after a few months. And I, I was able to go there a lot more frequently and, and capture a lot more of their life. One of the challenges is the fact that uh, they're living in that confined space and you're photographing in it. Um, right. This is, not, this is not a penthouse apartment in New York. I don't right. know how much actual footage is in that, that small bus. That in and of itself, because basically you... you this is a, a home with five people and a photographer trying to negotiate each other. So talk about that, that challenge in terms of making your pictures in the midst of all that. Yeah. So that was a, a huge challenge that I didn't, I mean, it, it was kind of foolish of me initially, you know, going from like a street photography project with a lot of open space, you know, on Venice beach and so on to try and go and, try to photograph people inside their vans and buses and, and stuff. Cause it, I mean, talk about a, a challenge, like you said, you know, just not just the confined space, but you're inside people's homes. And these are very vulnerable people that live on the street and have very little space. Right. So, so to get accepted and to, to hang out with them for hours at a time in that very confined space is a challenge for, first from a trust, re, you know, perspective, but then on top of that, as you know, from a photographer's standpoint, you have to change your angles and you have to create visual variety uh, for a project. 
otherwise it's like you know all the angles look the same like you're gonna have the same photo over and over with the same background and so on so that created a lot of uh i really had to kind of push my creativity in terms of you know finding the right angles and and varying things and trying a lot of different things basically with my camera i didn't want to resort to getting to um to using wide lenses that were too wide because i didn't want to distort people and stuff so at some point i tried with a 21 millimeter you know going for i i normally shoot 35 so i try to go way wider and to see if i could you know get more and and create a little bit of visual variety that way too and i didn't like it it was just not my thing so i went back to the 35 and i shot everything everything is shot with the 35 in that bus <laughs> pretty much with wow and somehow i managed to get a whole book with you know things that look very different so <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, it's kind of like once you've shot in that, in those circumstances, going back to the street is like, you have the whole world to yourself. It, <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> well, you know, kudos to being able to do that with a 35, because I just immediately thought that uh, you would have to use like something, at least like a 28, if not a 24 to, to make it happen. But that's quite amazing with a 35 to have, have it so rich, you know, in terms of, of, of the frame you know, in terms of being able to emphasize the subject, but also be able to provide context at the same time in a confined right. space. It's really hard with a 35. Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time just stuck to a, like the side of the bus or shooting through the window or um, a lot of shots are, I'm not looking through the viewfinder because there's no room for me to be behind the viewfinder. I have the camera, you know, on, at, you know, on my hand and I'm putting it like against the wall, but I can't look through the viewfinder because there's not enough space for me to be there. So I, I've had, I just had to be very creative about using the camera to kind of render things in an interesting way um over and over and over again and, and also not to be in their space you know in their face too much like i had to kind yeah. of i i literally needed to be the fly on the wall but i'm you know full grown man so <laughs> it's hard to be a fly <laughs> i'm not that big but i'm you know i'm big enough that i can uh you know obviously there so um but yeah it was really interesting it, it pushed my it definitely pushed my limits in terms of yeah how to handle yeah that. you have to be sensitive to to the vibe that's happening with the family uh, not just the adults but even the kids right right you know and in terms of, of saying okay am i you know am i becoming a problem you know how far right. can i push this you know there's a great photograph here but maybe i should just pass on it you know, all of those, yep. all of those things. Um, yeah, there, there was a, a day I clearly remember that I showed up um, at their door and, you know, I had texted with the, with Izzy, with the husband earlier and he was like, yeah, just come over. And I came over and I showed up at the door of the bus and there was the little two-year-old and she looked at me and she had this, you know, she, she wasn't in a good mood that day. And she said, no dotan, no dotan. She could barely speak. Uh, and, and they spoke Portuguese, the kids at the time, they were still learning English. And she went, no dotan, no dotan. I was like that day, I was like, look, Izzy, uh, doesn't look like she wants me there. So I'll, I'll just come back another day. <laughs> Yeah. It's just, you know, there's no, um, yeah, like the kids really, you know, ruled that bus. And they also had an educational, their, their philosophy in terms of education of the kids was that, you know, they, they had a lot of respect for the kids and the, the kids really kind of run the, the, the space there. Uh, so, so, you know, so a few days later I showed up with, I knew she loved strawberries. So a few days later I showed up with like a few strawberries and that, that was for her. And, and then we were friends again. So, um, but it, it's it's tough for the kids because i i think there was also some jealousy going on because when i was there i would you know um i would chat with the, when i wasn't photographing i would chat with the parents a lot so you know they probably the kids probably felt like that you know i was i was a little bit of you know competition for for attention okay so the, there was a little bit of that going on but yeah there was you know some psychology involved in knowing like when i was wanted and when you know or, or tolerated and, and when it was time to leave them you know alone since i haven't been traveling a lot this year i've been spending a good amount of money on photography books 
I'm collecting books from both well-known photographers as well as people who are new to me. And it's just been a joy to sit down and take in great imagery. There is something really special about looking at photographs beautifully printed on the page. And that's one of the reasons I'm so glad to now have the Charcoal Book Club as a sponsor. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. They work with the most respected names in contemporary photography to select and deliver essential photo books to collectors all over the world. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. The service provides a great way to begin or extend your collection, knowing that each month you'll be receiving some of the best work in photography today. With their impeccable curation, budget payment plans, free shipping, and exclusive member benefits, it provides an accessible and exciting way for both novice and veteran collectors to build up their library of great photography. Join the club at thecharcoalbookclub.com and make sure to use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive 10% off your first membership payment. The introductory offer won't last long, so don't delay. The family, as you indicated before, faced a lot of challenges. You know, sometimes it was financial. Sometimes it was maybe the breakdown with the bus. Sometimes it was more sort of personal issues. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, they look at the way these people were living and they question why they why they do it and go, well, if you just got an apartment, you know, you would have more stability and you would have, you wouldn't have to worry about these, these things. Right. Right. But they found from from reading the book that being able to be connected with each other um, was much more important to them than than anything else. Sort of the experience of living with each other rather than, you know, having a parent that's off to work most of the day and that's rarely seen. Um, right. And that was that that was, you know, the reasons why they they committed to this. But. From your perspective, you know, because you weren't living that lifestyle, you're sort of an observer. How did seeing them live that way sort of make you think about the way the choices you made in terms of your own lifestyle? It really made me want to try that lifestyle, to be honest. Like, I there was uh, definitely some um, curiosity about that. (laughs) When they left, I I was, you know, Googling, you know, how, how, you know, because, and there's a lot of like van life, you know, hashtag van life going on and stuff and people trying out this out just as a, you know, I'll just leave my house for a month and and travel around and see what it's like. So there's a lot of glamorization of that. And and part of it, you know, was seeing how they lived. And part of it was like, hey, you know, this would be a cool thing to do at some point uh, for for me too. But I'm just not at the right uh, point in, you know, in terms of my, my kids, you know, and, and, uh, what they want to do and, and how they, you know, they close, they want to stay to their friends and, and my wife. And <laughs> so this is something I could do on my own or maybe with my wife later when the kids are off somewhere. But, uh, but it definitely uh, piqued my interest in terms of, you know, trying out a little bit of that, that vagabond, you know, on the road laughs lifestyle. And how about just, just, Issues about the choices that parent make parent makes in terms of raising their raising their kids. What yeah. kind of insights did you did you get from just observing how what the dynamic was with with you know with the Reese family? Yeah, so they had this very interesting philosophy, and I talk a little bit about it in the interviews that you know I was able to to make with them. We we that was one of the questions I had was how they educate their kids. They have, I guess, they see their kids as full, you know, human beings that are not yet grown up. So they have this kind of respect for the kids and for what the kids want that would go way beyond what, you know, what's considered, uh, I guess, average or normal or, you know, uh, uh, conventional in, in uh, you know, in our American lifestyle. They, uh, they really, um, I don't know, there was this, this, uh, you know, I think they get a lot of flack for that. I think a lot of people look at them and say, you're crazy. You know, you shouldn't let your kids, you know, drive, you know, drive you crazy and, and uh, impose things on you and so on. But they, they really have this kind of, you know, really utmost respect for their kids and, and they, they treat them as kind of equals. You know, they, they don't, I think in the words that, I forget it, the exact words Izzy used, but he says, 
it's not because I'm bigger and stronger than them that I need to impose that I should impose, you know, my my will on them. Like they we they need to be treated as equals. And and that's really I mean, it's not just a, a, it, he wasn't just saying that this is really their their philosophy of uh, of life. So there's no, you know, if the kids don't want to eat, there's no, you know, there's no set meals. People eat when they want to eat. People go to sleep when they want to go to sleep. It's really like the kids have total freedom in terms of all these things, which, you know, to a lot of people that would be going too far. And, um, and then education wise, they try to, um, show them things, you know, to get them interested in things in books and, and artwork and, and crafts and things like that. But the kids basically end up deciding what they, what they want to do be, you know, there, there is, I think at some point they had some restrictions in terms of homeschooling and what they needed to get done. Uh, so that, that was, you know, that was imposed on the kids and, you know, maybe the kids would get to choose when that was happening, but, but they had to do their homework. Uh, but beyond that, the kids would, you know, decide what to do. And, and th these were, I mean, they are super curious, super smart kids. So by all, you know, by what I could observe, and you can see that in the pictures, they're happy and, and very, um, I don't know, just uh, vibrant, you know, just a really vibrant lifestyle where the, the kids are, are flourishing and, and blossoming in, in this way. So, yeah, it's working for them. Tell me about the selection of images and, and, and the design of the book, because that's always, you know, that's that's an all, that's a, uh, an all, that's a completely different challenge. Right. You, know, you can make all these wonderful photographs, some of which that you're completely in love with. Um, but when it comes down to a book, you have to serve a completely different master than the photographer who created all those photographs. And this is your second time around with a book. And we right. talked about your first one on Venice, you know, when it was released about three years ago. Uh, but tell me how this experience was different as compared to the to, to the first book and and how your choices evolved or changed. Yeah, so I went into this. Uh, so when I went into the first book, the Venice book, I wanted kind of a, a classical, you know, book in terms of the design and the the layout and, and so on. I wanted something that was very, um, you know, just traditional. And this one, I really wanted to do something different with it. I had done the traditional thing and I really liked how it came out with the Venice book. I think it was perfect for that book. Uh, with this book um, about, uh, which is now, it's titled Nowhere to Go But Everywhere, uh, which is a sentence from uh, Jack Kerouac um, book On the Road, um, used with permission from the estate. And th with this book, I wanted to do something that was uh, very different looking and that embodied life in that bus. So um, I, I chose, I asked Carer, the, the book publisher, to pair me up with a designer who was, you know, very much of an outside the box thinker and would, you know, lead to some, to, to an object that would embody the life in the bus. So we, in the end, I mean, and, and we had this great collaboration. It was the most fun project to work on in terms of the design of the book itself. And Part of the the challenge was that the photographs were in black and white, but the bus was very colorful and was, you know, had all those colorful fabrics, part of which were there to decorate the bus, part of which they were wearing as their clothes, and part of which they were selling as vintage clothing. At some point, they, they kind of re realized they could have this vintage clothing business on Abbott Kenny, and they would have, you know, kind of do this pop-up, you know, stand, you know, selling vintage clothing. So there was the clothing and colors and texture and fabric was very much part of, of who they were and, and what the space looked, you know, how the space looked. So, but it was black and white book. So I decided with the designer, the designer actually had the idea to use those color fabrics as separate leaflets inside the book. So smaller pages that, that are um, bound inside the book. And on one side of those pages, we have sort of the chapter titles uh, that are uh, printed on the fabric side, on the color side. And on the back side of those leaflets, we have this kind of beautiful silky silver paper on which we printed the interviews. So, um, so we, so basically you have this book that has full bleed black and white images, 
And then you turn the pages and every, every now and then you have those leaflets that are full of color and texture. And, and also they're also uh, with another paper that's very much like a fabric paper uh, that, that has like the texture of a fabric and that has that, those beautiful stories on the, on the backside of it. So, um, so that's how, how we did that. And then in terms of representing how, you know, how tiny the space was and how, you know, teeming with life and everything it, it was, we decided to go full bleed for those black and white images to really mm -hmm. make you feel like it's, you know, the space is just, you know, you're completely, uh, you know, it's very cramped and very, uh, uh, but at the same time, there's this kind of explosion of, of, um, you know, motion and, 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 and emotions as well. And, and, you know, people, you know, dancing and, and jumping. And, and so the photos are very much about those moments and, 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 and um, but they're, they're, because they're full bleed, it feels just, you know, I don't know, it just feels very packed and, and very oh, much yeah. like that, that bus, it gives you the impression of being in that bus. So, yeah, that's one of so the that, things that I, I noted about the design going, the, the, the full bleed uh, achieved exactly what you just described. And uh, sometimes I look at books that include a full bleed and I, and I don't like it because I just want to see it within, you know, I, I want that frame. white space to, yeah, in which to sort of read the image. But with these photographs, yeah, I mean, you feel like you're completely immersed in it, even though you're, you know, you're looking at pages in a book. But right. it just feels like you are in the midst. And, you know, the fact that you're shooting with the 35, you're shooting tight and the full blade, all of that combined um, produces a really interesting effect. And and, and one of the interesting choices um, that was happening in your previous book is your choice to go black and white. Um, right. There's a certain look to your black and white that I just look at it and go, oh, that's Dothan. You know, and, but it, I think it's it's more than just you know a signature style. There's, uh, I think there's there's reason behind you, you know, being committed to the, to that way of seeing and reproducing your images. And if you could discuss that, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interestingly enough, I came out of the Venice book with that kind of signature style, and I was very happy with it for that book. But I didn't want to assume that this was the style for this project, so I went and into it with a very open mind and um between the venice book and starting to shoot this i actually had switched cameras and i was using uh so the venice book was shot with leica monochrome this one i had a leica m10 so i was shooting color essentially but could convert to black and white and i went into it with the m10 because i wasn't sure that this was a black and white project there was so much color inside this bus and inside those you know all those interiors of, of buses and vans and everything that um i thought maybe color was the way to go but then after having shot a little bit of it and consulting with people who really know color i realized that in order to get the color to work i really would have to use artificial lighting and I really didn't want to, you know, because that just, I thought that would just, you know, um, be too invasive for this kind of mm -hmm. project. It would, it would, you know, make, make my subjects too much aware of my presence. And I mean, it's not like they couldn't see me, obviously I'm in this space with them and everything, but I, I really wanted to minimize my impact on them and really be an observer that was, you know, a quiet observer. And I felt like the flash was just going to be too much. So I, I realized that the only way to make it work was going to be in black and white. So I arrived to the, to the, the, uh, to black and white in a completely different way where, you know, I, it was just the only way to do this. Um, and, and to do this in a, you know, in a way that was not too, uh, uh, too, too, uh, you know, to taking over their life too much. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You said it wasn't until after you were done shooting, shooting them and they had left that you, in discussion with your publisher, that it, sh it should become a, a book. Uh, but talk about, you know, getting permission of the, the family, if you needed the permission of the family, whether you needed releases, since that was your initial intent to be an all-encompassing, you know, right. book that told their, their story. So how, how did those things work out? You know, even though, I mean, I waited till the end to really know that I had a book, I, as it wasn't like an overnight decision, it was something that I kind of, as I was getting more and more successful with them and I had stopped shooting everything else, 
I had in mind that maybe this is, you know, this could be the entire book. And I was approaching it as such. So I was trying to really, you know, going, I was trying to go through a shot list of like, I want, I want to make sure I represent, you know, I, I show people uh, how they eat and how they sleep and how they, you know, like all these different things. I want, I wanted them to be present in the book. Cause if it was just going to be about them, I had to fill in all these blank, the, all these blanks. So, um, I, I I did, you know, as I was realizing that myself, I started also preparing them for that. And I, you know, I would tell, I would tell them, look, I, initially I had told you this would be, you would be one of several subjects in, in the, in a book. But, um, as we're doing this, I'm thinking like you, you guys might be the entire book for, for, for this. And, you know, would that be okay with you? Are you and, and they were actually flattered that, you know, the entire thing might be about them. So they were very mm -hmm. much, you know, going along with this. And um, so when it was time to actually get, because I, I did have to get their uh, signatures, of, you know, on, on the release, uh, because this was not, you know, unlike my other project in Venice, which was in the street, which is okay to do without a release, uh, this was in their private space. So I, you know, most of it was shot inside the bus, and that was their home. So I had to get a release from them, and 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 they had no problem, you know, providing that because they they were. Uh, they were okay with the the whole thing from the start, and they were they were quite flattered that I, I would you know take such interest in their life and and show their how they live to other people. I also told them that the reason I was doing this with them and, and with others is um, I think there's just a lot of stigma, as I mentioned earlier, about people with this lifestyle and uh, that the people with these this lifestyle are suffering. And I think by showing the the beauty of of it. And how, you know, these people are not, you know, alcoholics or drug addicts or dangerous or, mm -hmm. you know, like anything that people might suspect uh, from the outside. You know, I think it helps, you know, lessen the stigma on, on others. And I told them this is partly why I want to I want to open the doors of, of those buses and those vans and and show people that, you know, in a lot of cases, these are normal people who just want to live a different lifestyle. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But recognizing the fact that some people are going to look at this negatively and have some critical reactions to to what the family is is doing, did you experience that there were moments either as you were making photographs or as you were editing when you looked at the picture and recognized that that the moment might be easily misinterpreted and then made it difficult for you to make the photograph or to consider it for the book? Not really. Um, I can't think of anything they did. I mean, uh, there was, there's even a photo in the book that, that I, I just didn't, I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to be bad taste. Um, you know, one of the things they have to take care of, uh, you know, living in the bus like this is they have to, you know, empty the toilet every, every now and then, like they have to dump, you know, the, what the, the, is called the black water. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in those RV, you know, in RVs and, and other vehicles like that. So, you know, I even went through, you know, just sh showing how, how they do that. And it's not always, you know, they don't always have the opportunity to do it the right way. So in this case, he was going into like a public toilet somewhere and du literally dumping the, you know, everything into the toilet and it was messy and everything and he cleaned up, you know, and, and <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so, you know, those were not, such glamorous things to show, but I wanted to show them anyway, just to show all the facets of what they had to deal with. So, um, but I, I didn't think there was anything to hold back because there was really nothing that was shameful or, or um, you know, I thought all of it was quite, um, I don't know, there, there was there was nothing to hide really. Yeah. So um, what's the family doing now? Where What are their circumstances today? Oh my God! So it's it's been quite a roller coaster for them um, because well the, the first bus the bus that I photographed uh, ended up breaking down just permanently and they had to get rid of it. Uh, they ended up selling it to somebody who's just going to use it as like a you know something that doesn't travel uh, as a home, and they had to go back to Delaware where their family is um, to you know to stay put for a while. He was going to take back his restaurant job. But that was like a month before COVID hit. So he lost his <laughs> restaurant job oh, after wow. that. And they went through some tough times, but they have some family to support them. So, you know, they weren't completely, uh, you know, on their own. And I think uh, then they got lots of things happened. But eventually they bought another bus, uh, a bigger one this time. And 
they re they um re they built it you know built it up as a as a home and it's beautiful inside i actually got to see the new bus it's like now they really know what they're doing so they were able to like <laughs> he, izzy izzy's just amazing as bill at building these things now and then getting the plumbing right and everything and the electricity and i think he actually did it for a few other people he does it for like you know people ask him to do it now for like as a job uh if, every now and then but they took the bus on the road. They actually came back to LA recently. I was able to see them like about a month ago. They they came and parked here and and spent about a week here, and uh, and they're doing great. They're back on the road and traveling and and doing you know living the the dream that they want that they want to live. And, and now they also know how to make a living on the road. So they're all the you know the hardships that I witnessed are kind of behind them at this point because they. You know, they they he 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 now makes beautiful jewelry that he discovered he could make with copper wire and you know the um, and stones that he knows where to order and stuff. You know, it's like semi precious stones, and he sells them at markets and and different places. And and she she does a lot with clothing that she so she buys um, you know vintage clothing and and re, you know in bulk and then resells and she curates it amazingly well so she's very very talented at that and so they they so they're able to make you know enough now that you know sometimes the kids get like dance lessons and it's it's, it's quite remarkable how they've been able to get more comfortable and and kind of figure out how how to live this life now and what was the family's reaction to the book they love it. Uh, they are so proud of it. They've been, you know, very vocal on on social media about the book and and how, uh, you know, they're they're super proud of it. They've been sharing it with their family. With their, they have a following now on on YouTube and on uh, Instagram. That's actually quite big. And so, they, so they they they've been really thrilled with it. I sh I sent them several copies that they could share with their families and everything. Um, it's yeah, it's it's been a great experience. They're, they're, it, it's it's really been a, kind of a love fest, you know. In terms of I, and when they come back to town, they always tell me, and you know, we get together and I hang out with them in the bus. And it, it's quite it's it's really a friendship that was uh, that was uh, forged there. It's it's yeah, it's, very it's, a, special. it's a it's a marvelous journey to have, you know, and to share that experience with someone. It's one of the beauties of photography. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, you enter people's lives who you would never have met otherwise um, because they, they live a completely different lifestyle for, from you. Uh, but you learn so much from them. And it, it's, it ends up, you know, being this really enriching thing way beyond photography. Photography is kind of the excuse, you know, to, yeah. to, tra to travel into those lives. And it's kind of a passport, I guess. I, I think a photographer once said, I forget which one. And, and it really is. It's, it's uh, you know, forget photography. Photography is nice, but, but making friends like this, you know, learning about other lifestyles like that, um, you know, firsthand and being, you know, privileged to, to be invited into those lives is, is a huge gift. That's, yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend a photographer for our listeners to explore. It can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Oh, my God. Um, let me uh, then uh, talk about my, my friend Jamie Johnson, who you know, I'm sure, uh, or maybe not. Uh, maybe, Jamie yeah. Johnson. She, so she, she, she lives in L.A. She just made a book about the children of the travelers in Ireland. You know, the, the so I very much also Hungary, about yeah. people, people on the road, you know, very, very much like, you know, so very related to my project, except uh, this was in the Ireland and she shot it over several years. And, and she also just released the book with Cara Verlag uh, at the same time mine came out. So uh, I, I would recommend checking out checking out her work, and uh, it's it's a, she made a beautiful book with care as well. Totally different design and everything, but uh, it came out beautifully. So oh, I would cool. recommend people check that out. Well, Dotan, thank you again, man. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, thank you, thank you, Byron X. It's always a pleasure to be on your program. Thanks to Dotan for joining us. Find out more about Dotan and his work by visiting dotansagi.com. And make sure to check out his online street photography course as well. You'll find more information on his website. This year, I'll be involved with Photo NOLA, 
which is the annual celebration of photography in New Orleans, produced by the New Orleans Photo Alliance in partnership with museums, galleries, and alternative venues citywide. The 15th annual Photo Nola Festival is going to look a little different this year with a hybrid of online and physical elements. It will take place from December 9th through 12th with broad-ranging photography exhibitions on display both virtually and socially distanced throughout the winter season. The lineup includes virtual portfolio reviews, workshops, lectures, and more. Many events are free and open to the public. I'm conducting an online workshop myself, and you can find out more about it by visiting photonola.org or just check out the link in the show notes. If you're a devoted listener, subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. Thanks to Danny Rodriguez for his five-star review. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or reoccurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Cynthia Burgess for her recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography, available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>